facility up to this point, and uh, we uh, still have a ways to go with the building, so thank you for your generous gifts this month. Okay, well, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 21. The sermon today is called Don't Close the Gate, and it's a very simple warning sermon. So I'm going to sum the entire sermon up for you in one video that went viral in a moment, okay? So if you want the Cliff's Notes version, it's coming, all right? There's this really old door in Europe somewhere that's famous because it's gigantic and it's really funny when they have to close it, okay? So check it out. Here it is. Twenty-one or 2.1 million likes because an ancient old creaky door is closing. So you ready for the summary of the sermon? Here it is. Everybody say, don't do that. All right, that's what I'm saying to you the entire sermon. Don't do that to God. Don't close the gates of your heart to God. That's what the entire sermon is about today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would bless those who are online and those who are in person by helping all of us to heed this very basic warning. Don't close the gate. Lord, some came here today, their hearts are wide open to you. They're full of joy, full of peace. Your spirit is in them and they are saved forever. Some, O oh Lord, have closed the gate. Lord, for whatever reason, something in the past, something in the present, they have closed the gate to you. Lord, there are some here today who think the gate is open, but they might realize that it's actually closed. Lord, help us all to fling wide the gates of our hearts open to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we are in Acts 21, 27. The sermon last week was Paul doing everything possible to come back from the third missionary journey. He had a fortune he brought for the poor, for the church in Jerusalem. And he went through this vow to show that he's not negating the Old Testament. He did everything right, but God told him persecution is coming. It's unavoidable. And today, blood will be shed. So here we are in Acts 21, verse 27. And it says this. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, now who are they? Those are the Jews, remember Ephesus, the riot? Remember the riot in Ephesus? Okay, some of those folks who failed to kill Paul there, they now have home field advantage. They see him and they're taking advantage of this. Seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against this people and the law in this place. Everybody gasp. We got him. He's telling everybody out there that our Bible, our temple, our entire people should be turned against. And then it says, moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple. Now really gasp. Now that was not allowed. Greeks into the temple, and he's defiled this holy place. Now look, I got to tell you, before it all erupts here, false, false, 
False. He's not speaking against this people or this temple or this place. He did not bring a Greek into the temple where he didn't belong. False accusations. Then it says in verse 29, they previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once, listen, listen, listen. The gates were shut. The, this right here is the most emphatic moment for Jerusalem in the New Testament. The gates were shut. Against the messenger of God, God himself and the Messiah. This was their final rejection. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When they saw the tribune, the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up, arrested him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Illegal, illegal to, to bind a Roman citizen, but it saved Paul's life. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Now, what does it feel like to be Paul right now? If you were in this situation where Roman guards had to literally run up and drag your bloody body out from the crowd that is trying to beat you to death, how would your heart feel? How would your head feel? How would you feel in this moment right now? It says in verse 35, when they came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. He's crowd surfing now on Roman soldiers. That's how violent this mob is. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. First thing you can write down in your notes is this. Trust God when you face persecution. Trust God when you face persecution. It's total chaos. False accusations. He's about to be torn to shreds. And this is happening in the temple area. Here's a picture of the temple area. We'll put that up on the screen. So the reason it all blew up was because in the temple of God, only the high priest, the great high priest, could go into that big building there. That, that in there is where the most holy place was, the holy of holies, the ark of God, right? If anyone else went in there, they would die. And then there's the holy place where the priest could minister. Then there's the court for the men, the court for the women. Outside of that, the court for the Gentiles was farther out. Do you see that wall along the right there? So there would have been markers posted saying uh, in multiple languages, Gentiles do not cross this wall on penalty of death. You will die. Now they thought mistakenly that God's heavenly presence was still on earth there. But what happened after Jesus died and rose again? What happened to the curtain? Was torn in two. The curtain in there was torn in two. That shows that God's presence is no longer localized there, and it shows that we are no longer bound away from God's presence, okay? So, little temple theology there. That's why the persecution really blew up here. And it's so opposite of what they're saying. He defiled this sacred place. Actually, the Apostle Paul is now a temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit is in him. He is so purified internally that he is acceptable to God forever. And he walks on the temple grounds and they say, you have defiled this holy place. That's blasphemy. 
That's blasphemy. And they're trying to kill an innocent man. They're defiling the holy place. So that's the tension of what's happening right here. The shutting of the gate was the final rejection of the Jews, the temple leaders of Christ and his messengers. And Israel, as predicted by Jesus, is now totally doomed from this moment on. But you can trust God when you face persecution. Write this down. Because God planned to use persecution. Because God planned to use persecution. There were visions, prophecies we learned last week where God said in every town, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Remember Agabus showed up and like acted out being tied up? God promised this would happen and he promised to use it. Total chaos and God was in total control. He willingly walked Paul. He doesn't have very many people who are writing the Bible, right? Walks him into this lion's den because he plans to use persecution. And God plans to use persecution in your life and mine. Check out Matthew 10, 16 to 20. We'll put it up on the screen. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Did Jesus warn us that God would use persecution? Yes or no? So will we face persecution even if, like Paul, we do everything possible to avoid it? Yes. Yes, God will walk us into the fire of persecution because he plans to use it. Believers of Jesus Christ, have you in the past been persecuted because of your faith or by extension, the way you live that's different from those around you? Do you have stories of times you were mocked or shamed or falsely accused or closely watched? Have people said crazy things about you? Well, welcome to being a New Testament Christian. I love what happens in verse 37. So they say away with him. So everybody shout away with him. You don't sound mad enough. Really say it. Go on. This section's angrier than this section. I like you guys. You're really good. Stay on my good side, okay? All right, so here we go. Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, verse 37, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? Hmm? Have you been accused of things? How many of you have been falsely accused of shocking things? Raise your hand. If you in the past have had an experience where people have falsely accused you of things that were shocking and staggering. Okay, my hand's up. I've never been accused of being a leader of an Egyptian band of assassins. Okay, that's a big one. So Rome can kill him right now. This is really out of hand. Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you to permit me to speak to the people. Now, right now, the Roman guy knows he's in trouble because Paul's a citizen. Whoops. Whoops. So he now has to help show that he's not falsely persecuting Paul. Persecution often backfires. It's happening in our culture today. They go too far, they push too hard, and it backfires. It's backfiring right now. When he had given him permission... 
By the way, verse 39, I beg you to permit me to speak to the people. Are you shocked by that? Let me go back out there. I have some things I'd like to say to them. Now, what would you say to the raging band of lunatics that just tried to kill you? I've got some inside thoughts. You get bad when somebody cuts you off on the Eisenhower. You're not like, I'm going to pull him over and tell him about Jesus. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and then there was a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. God planned to use this persecution. He's got a crowd, and God is now going to use his testimony. Believers, do you know that? Do you know that right now, if your faith is inviting problems at school, at home, at work, on Facebook, if your faith is inviting problems, that's God walking you into a witnessing opportunity. Don't run away from it. Don't run away from it. Do you realize if it hasn't happened yet, it will happen in your future? You can do everything possible to avoid drama in your family, and it's coming. You can do everything possible to stay out of trouble at work. It's coming. And in the world, Christians, we're not to the point of shedding blood in our country yet. It's coming. It's coming. Look at history. There will always come a time when the Christians are persecuted. And it's happening now with our brothers and sisters in other countries all around the world. Do you know it's coming? And it's not just anymore the basic Christian values that we are going to get in trouble for standing up for. It's basic virtues that you have to have courage to stand for. I heard, not firsthand, secondhand, I heard District 230 is in a total uproar. Am I right? Board meetings are exploding. Protests are happening outside of Stag High School uh, because allegedly there are boys allowed to change in the girls' locker rooms. That's what I'm hearing, that things are exploding right now. So teenage girls in our church now have the expectation that in gym class they will just live with this. And if they are to have the courage to say, this is wrong, they will get pushback. They will get made fun of. Some people will say, who are you to judge other people? It's the very most basic of fundamental decent virtues right now, that if you stand up for it, you're going to get slapped. You're going to get slapped. This is the world we live in. And God plans to use this persecution, and it often backfires. God planned to use this persecution. Write this down, because God promised to use our testimony. Trust God when you face persecution, because God planned to use persecution, and because God promised to use our testimony. So you are God's messenger, and you must find your voice and speak with courage and confidence when you're given the opportunity, even if it costs you something. In Acts 1.8, this makes it clear at the beginning of this book study. We'll put that up on the screen. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, the end of the earth, that's us. So we are his witnesses. And just as their testimony unfolded through these believers in Acts, it's still unfolding through you and through me. So God planned to use persecution, and God promised to use our testimony. So I have to confess to you that God is challenging me to share my faith more. I share my faith. I tell people about Jesus. I ask to pray for them. But God has convicted me recently after a conference that I went to 
at decision point that I am not doing it nearly enough. There was a guy who got up at that conference and he um, owned and operated a car wax factory. That was his life. But he found out that he could use his love for cars to tell other people about Jesus. He said, 50 years ago, I committed to God that I was going to tell somebody about Jesus every single day. Either pray with them, hear their story, share my story. 50 years later, I've done it every single day. And I can't tell you the joy I find in talking to people about Jesus. And I was like, I'm getting an F. (laughs) He's getting an A. And preacher here is getting an F. Every day? He said, look, people are so afraid. I can count on one hand how many bad experiences I've had when I asked somebody if I can pray with them today. He's like, people love it when you're just good to them. He's like, are you lacking joy in your faith? You start talking to people about God, you will have something joyful happen every day. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try it. From that point on, I haven't done it every day, but a whole lot more than before, I started just asking people, can I pray with you? What's your story? Can I share my story? Guess what? I've had no bad experiences yet. It's been a really awesome discipline. God promises to use our testimony. Another thing that challenged me is Warren Willis. Do you remember Warren who came here, the old fellow who started Decision Point? We interviewed him. He was on the mission field for like 45 years, retired, golfed once, and then was like, nope. Started an organization, Decision Point. Their goal is that every student will hear the gospel in their high school on school hours. So they're empowering teenagers to go do rallies. That's why at Richards High School, we had like a thousand kids uh, hear the gospel. Pastor Stephen was there preaching, like 60 kids got saved. They bring the gospel into the schools because you can do it. So I saw Warren at one of these conferences, and he wrote a, uh, his book was written by a woman. His book is called The Jesus Man. And you would think a guy like Warren, who spent 45 years on the mission field telling everybody about Jesus, would just be unnatural. But I was shocked in his book to hear that when he joined Campus Crusade for Christ, he was scared to death to share his faith with other people. Three months into his Campus Crusade for Christ job, uh, his trainer, Dick, said, "Uh, guess what day this is? And uh, Warren was like, I don't know. And Dick said, well, uh, this is the day you have to go out and witness. And Warren said, what is that? I thought the guy was crazy. I thought, he said, it was witnessing day and it was the end of the line for me. He said with glee, go and make disciples of all students. They were on the UCLA campus, all right, all right, and it was like the 60s, all right, all right. So he said, let's pray, and he prayed, swung Warren around, pointed to all the students sitting out on the grass, and Warren said, now? And he said, now. And Warren said, it must not be God's will. My feet won't move. (laughs) His trainer said, let's pray again. He prayed again, and Warren said, my feet still won't move. He said, Warren, I'm going to put my hand on the back of your neck, this is a very tall man, and I'm going to push you for the first 10 yards and then let you go. See that guy about 30 yards out, who actually turned out to be the number one campus radical and also an atheist? If you don't stop and talk to him, just keep on going and don't come back. I don't ever want to see you again. Warren had signed up to be a campus missionary, and his feet won't move. And the guy made it clear, it's now or never. Now look, that's pretty radical. And how would you react if someone's like, there, there he is, go now? Well, we know what that led to. Warren spent many years in Mongolia. He said, when I arrived in Mongolia, five people were known to be Christians. Over six and a half years, we screened the Jesus film over 4,000 times in 356 Mongolian cities and villages. He said, the greatest 
complimented my life when I was walking into work one day and a 10-year-old girl who I'd never met had a huge smile on her face. And she told me her name. And as I was about to tell her my name, she said, I know who you are. And I said, who am I? And she said, you are the Jesus man. You are the Jesus man. Okay, so you see how this works? My feet won't work. That's where he started. Maybe that's where you're at. Witnessing? Ah! God can give you courage and boldness as a witness. God will use your testimony. God will use my testimony. But we have to be willing to trust God when we face persecution. Number one, trust God when you face persecution because God planned to use persecution and he promised to use our testimony. Number two, jot this down. Learn to share your salvation story. Learn to share your salvation story. We're going to hear Paul's story, but simultaneously we want to hear your story. In your bulletin, there's a sermon response card. I'd love for you to find that right now. And a few of our ushers, if you could find that gigantic bag of pens that we sometimes have in the back, there's a gigantic bag of pens back there. And in a moment, if you need a pen, we will bring one to you, okay? Uh, But we'd love you to write three sentences down, which is your testimony of faith. I'm going to show you how to do that right now, okay? And we're going to collect these on the way out. We'd love for everybody to write down. I don't care what you put here. You can be honest. I'm the one who's going to see them. You can tell me how you feel about God and church and whatever. But I'd love to hear your testimony of faith, three sentences. And I'm going to show you how to do that right now from Paul's story. Okay, let's read on. Verse 22, or chapter 22. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. When they had heard him in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. He said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul's story starts with before Christ. Everybody has a before Christ story. What's yours? You could jot that down in your notes too. Before Christ I was. Paul's story is this. Upper class, super religious, formal Bible training, likely a member of the Sanhedrin. He was at least closely tied in and authorized by them. A persecutor of the church, he killed Christians, men, women, house to house to house to house to house. Dragged them out, made them say they believed Jesus was the Messiah, threw them in jail, or cast his vote to kill them. Then when he got done with Jerusalem, he got letters to go to Damascus, another big city with a huge Jewish population. This man was a murderer. He was out of control, and the worst thing about it is he thought he was making God happy. That's his before Christ. What's your before Christ? Mine is I was raised in the Catholic Church, went to church a few times a year, didn't believe any of it, didn't care about it, religious ed was a joke, confirmation was a joke, wrote, wrote, wrote my saint report, turned it in, Uh, didn't mean anything to me. I was a good kid up until sophomore, junior year, and then I started really pushing the lines and became a bad kid who was hanging around with really, really bad kids, heading down that road, drugs, alcohol. That's me before Christ. What's your story before Christ? Then he goes on to say in verse 6, 
As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? The Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. Standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. He said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. The next point is, Jesus saved me when... Before Christ, I was, Jesus saved me when, dot, dot, dot. Paul's story is, I was a murderer on a rampage, cleared out Jerusalem, now heading to the surrounding cities. Jesus himself appeared to me in glory. He was blinded by the light. He couldn't see. And he learned who Jesus was. Jesus was and is the risen Lord. The chief opponent of the faith was knocked down to the ground. He saw the risen Lord, which qualified him to become an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was led by the hand into the town. The brother Ananias came around him, healed him of his blindness. He got baptized and saved, and he immediately started telling people that Jesus is the Messiah that he tried to destroy. That's how he got saved. How did you get saved? Jesus saved you when? When? We must be saved. So we have to realize some truths here. The first thing you have to realize is you weren't born saved. Your parents can't save you. They can bring you into the fold of grace and surround you with protection. And there comes a point of accountability when you have to realize what, if you were raised in the church, what all of those Awana memory verses taught you was, I need a savior. And grandma ain't it. I need a savior. I need a savior. Have you realized that yet? It can happen when you're four or 14 or 40, or 84, or 104. Some point in your life, you have to realize that you weren't born destined for heaven. In fact, there is an address in hell with your name on it. Does that terrify you? And does that motivate you to realize the truth about you? That you need to be saved just like everybody else? And does that show you, according to the scripture, who am I? Well, it says here that I'm blind. I, I can't see God. This portrait of Paul not being able to see physically shows his blindness spiritually. Jesus called himself the light of the world. Therefore, only by looking at Christ as Savior and Lord can I see the truth about God spiritually. Have you admitted that? Have you admitted that you can't see God without Christ? You are totally blind. Go to the eye doctor. Let them put the letters up there as big as they can. You can't read a letter when it comes to the truth about God because you are born blind. Read the first line, can't. Second line, can't. Third line, can't, 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 can't see God. 
without Jesus. Do you see how if you think you're a pretty good person, probably doing okay, you haven't faced the reality that you are blind? And therefore, you don't see your need for Jesus. Sin is also described here as being dirty. In verse 16, rise and be baptized, wash away your sins. Now, baptism shows our sins are washed away because we have faith in Christ. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Do you realize that sin is a permanent stain on your soul? You can't see it. I went through several airport bag checks, traveled like four times the last four weeks. That bag goes through and you can see in it, right? When God sees in your soul and shows you it with his word, it's stained black from sin and you can't wipe it off, not a spot can't erase one sin from your record. It's more permanent than permanent marker. It stains worse than coffee. Stains worse than magic marker. Stains worse than blood. Sin stains your soul forever. Jesus alone can cleanse your sins. Do you realize the truth about your sin? Do you realize, therefore, the truth about Jesus, that he's the light of the world? His blood can wash away your sin And do you realize what Paul is saying here? He is the Savior you killed. He's the risen one. I saw him. He's alive. He's called here the just one, right? The the just one. There's some biblical history to that. We have to see that Jesus is the one who is risen. He is the one who is ruling. Uh, He is the righteous one in verse 14. And that takes us back to Jeremiah 23, 5 to 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Not only is Paul righteous and innocent of all these charges, but Jesus is the innocent one who they killed. So let me ask you this. When did Jesus save you? When did you realize you can't see God without Christ? You remember Charlton and Jesse, who used to be here. Charlton was one of our worship and tech leaders. Charlton told a story once of how he was in his car, went and got a bite to eat, got back in his car, sanitized his hands, was driving, and suddenly he went blind. He couldn't see. His face got hot, and he started wiping his eyes, and he realized he had sprayed pepper spray on his hands and not hand sanitizer. But he didn't know it at first. He just couldn't see. So he kept trying to wipe whatever was in his eyes away, not realizing that he had pepper spray all over his hands. Then he started coughing and gagging, pulled over the car, thankfully didn't get into an accident, and had to call for help because I can't see. Hey, look, is this you before Christ? I can't see. Or are you, I'm pretty good, religious, doing well. My best, better than my brother. A lot of bad people out there, not me. Like, are you following the religion of good personism? And do you realize how different that is from looking up and saying, I can't see God without Jesus Christ? Have you asked Jesus to open your eyes? Astronomers tell us that if you could see the Andromeda galaxy in the sky, the size that it is, check it out. Here's what it would look like. We've got a picture. If you could actually see it, there's what it would look like. Isn't that beautiful? But look, it's there. It's there, but we can't see it because it's obscured. It's there, but we can't see it. God's there, but you can't see him without Christ. 
And also, we're filthy. We need to be cleansed from Jesus Christ. Is this the truth that you believe, that Jesus has to open your eyes, that Jesus has to wash away your sin? Hey, has Jesus saved you? And do you have a story of when Jesus saved you? A lot of people think they're going to heaven because they're religious or good or kind, nice, civil, charitable, patriotic, hardworking, low maintenance. None of those people are going to heaven. Only saved people go to heaven. Are you a saved person yet? If so, you have a story. No story and likely no salvation. Before Christ I was, Jesus saved me when, and then the last one in this point is he changed me by. He changed me by. Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. Saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. He said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So this was his commissioning. This was his calling. This was his sending. He's now going to be an apostle. He's going to go. They won't listen to you here. Get out of town. I have work for you to do. Changed his location, his address, his mission, his identity, his whole destiny. Verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks. They rejected him. Gentiles, Gentiles, those filthy dogs, the, those, those, those horribly polluted people, you went to them and told them about our God, you deserve to die. So then he changed me. How did God change you after you were saved? Paul could say he sent me away, changed my heart toward Gentiles who I hated my whole life, helped me to ask for forgiveness for persecuting the church, made me a church planter and an apostle, allowed me to write books of the Bible. Paul could write a ton. Don't get this backwards. Too many people think they have to clean up their act before they come to God. That's self-righteousness. You can't clean up anything. To be acceptable to God, you have to fall on your knees and say, forgive a sinner like me. That's when the cleaning starts. Then he changes you. Gradually over time, you are made into the image and likeness of God. Can you point to several areas in your life that God has transformed because of your faith in Christ? A lot of people have a formal faith. Oh, yeah, I went to church growing up. Yeah, I'm kind of Lutheran. Sure, you know, we all need a little religion. How has God transformed you? Uh, what? On ongoingly, how has God parented you and changed you? I don't know. I don't have to take it that seriously. There's no fruit of salvation. Has God transformed your language, your vocabulary, how you love others, the time you devote to church gladly? Has God given you passion over the power of lust? Has he freed your heart from greed? Are you generously giving to others and to his kingdom work? Are you growing in patience and compassion? Are you slowing down and cooling down? The fruit of the Spirit, are they abiding in you more and more and more? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
When I was first saved, I was in college. You want to see a picture of New Christian Ryan? Here's a picture of New Christian Ryan. Check it out. That's me. It's my girlfriend, Lauren. Uh, I was saved and excited and didn't know anything about the Christian life. Bass player in my metal band invited me to church. Future pastor, right? Future pastor written all over that guy. God went to work. Key areas of my life, he gave me a hunger to read his Bible, to be around God's people, showed up for church work days. He gave me energy to learn about faith. He made my eyes pure with what I was looking at, gave me courage to speak up to my college professors about Jesus. He transformed me, and those around me saw it. So number one, trust God when you face persecution, because God planned to use persecution, because God promised to use our testimony. Number two, learn to share your salvation story. Before Christ I was, Jesus saved me when, and then he changed me by one, two, three. I'm going to give you a chance to write your story down in a moment. Number three, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and write that down. What are you waiting for? This sermon is primarily a warning. What the Jews did, we are not to do. It's shocking. It's shocking that they said he should not be allowed to live. Close the gate is shocking. This is a sermon about what not to do. The folly of rejecting the gospel despite clear and present evidence. Hearing all they needed to hear, seeing all they needed to see, still rejecting the gospel. Therefore, Jesus' prophecies of judgment will now come true on this city. In about 12 years, the city will be destroyed and leveled by the Romans. Here's a picture of one, one uh, painting of the siege and destruction of Jerusalem. This is now coming. The city they were defending, the temple that they were protecting, they shut the gate and Rome came and destroyed the whole thing and the temple has not been rebuilt to this day. There was no Israel after eventually the destruction was complete. There was no Israel formally until the 1940s. They are doomed. And I need you to face this sobering warning found in Scripture. That if you hear a clear presentation of the gospel, you realize that there's no explanation for Paul getting saved. Why would the guy killing Christians turn and become one uh, and spend 24 years on the mission field among <laughs> Gentiles who he never ate with his entire life? The only explanation for that is that Jesus is alive. You have been presented with clear evidence that the gospel is true. And if the gate of your heart is shut, I want you to open it, to fling it wide open today, because otherwise you are doomed. And I'm not talking about your house burning down. I'm talking about lake of fire. Okay, let's get real here. I'm talking about eternal condemnation is what you're choosing if you close the gate of your heart to Christ. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Write this down. Don't close your heart to God. Strong warning, especially to people who have been raised in the church, taught verses of the Bible, and walked away. Look, the Bible is singling you out in particular, and I just need to say this in light, in light of the Scripture, you know better. Okay? You know better. Others don't. Others don't. You know better. You know better you know better. And you shut the gate. This scripture is for you. This could be your final warning. 
This could be the last time God tells you enough is enough. Is that you? Have you faced the sobering warning that judgment day is coming and that the time is now? Don't close your heart to God. You've been given tons of evidence all around you that the gospel is true. I like what Lecrae says, Christian rapper. He says, at the end of my favorite story, death dies. I love that. Is the gospel your favorite story? Especially if you were raised in the church. It should be. It should be. At the end of my favorite story, death dies. Johnny Erickson Tata was forced to live in a wheelchair most of her life because of a tragic honeymoon accident. And she was asked how she gets by. And she said, heaven is about to happen. And it thrills me. Is that, is that your joy? Heaven is about to happen. Maybe you closed your heart to God because you're afraid of him or your life. Or you're angry at people or him. Or you're depressed because things didn't turn out the way you thought or you just love the folly and the fun of a faithless life. Whatever it is, write this down. Call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord. Call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord. I believe the truth about me. I believe the truth about sin. I believe the truth about Christ. You need to be saved. And maybe you've lost sight of the reality that it's a loving Father trying to pull you out of the wreckage. When the earthquakes happened in Turkey, there was a boy who was trapped in the rubble and his father waited for the rescuers to see if they could save his son. Check it out. Here's, this, here's a video. Let's start that one over. There we go. They pulled him out. There's his dad. Look how excited he is. Amazing. Amazing. Why would you say no to that? Why would you say no to the Father's love? Call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then finally, get baptized to show you're forgiven. Get baptized to show you're forgiven. We'd love for you, as Paul did, to show that your sins have been washed away by getting baptized. We've carved out a little time at the end of the sermon here for you to share your story with us. And so grab this card right here and grab a pen. And right now we've got our usher, Will. If you need a pen, just put your hand up. But we'd love for you to fill this out right now. I'd, I'd love at least for you to write down three things. First of all, before Christ, what was your upbringing? What was your, what, what was your life before that? And then the second sentence, and these are right from your notes, Jesus saved me when? Tell us when Jesus saved you. And then third, he changed me by. Just give a few ways that he transformed you. Uh, a few ways that he went to work and changed you. Just at least three sentences. You can write a little more if you want. Um, I would love for nothing more than for you to be honest. If you frankly want to vent and tell me why you've got problems with God, look, I didn't get saved until I was in college. I'm the only one who's going to see these. So I'd love for you to fill this out. Put your name and your number. And then if you'd like to talk to a pastor, you can check that. If you'd like to discuss baptism, you can check that. If you don't have a story, if you don't have a story, today can be your day. You can say, today's the day. And check the box that says, today's the day I'm asking Jesus to save me. So I'm going to ask Pastor Stephen to come up here. And what we're going to do is, you're going to have an opportunity to just fill this out. And at least three sentences. 
And um, this is a time for you to testify, to witness of what God's done in your life. So raise your hand right now if you need a pen. These are found in your bulletin. Raise your hand right now if you need a pen. And I'd love for you to just write something, okay? Because we're going to turn these in on the way out. So take a moment right now. Go ahead and write out your story. And we're going to give you like five minutes to do that. Go ahead. My story is I was raised Catholic, confirmed, baptized, but didn't truly believe in Jesus. My life was getting darker, plunging into sin, making terrible choices, drugs, lust, theft. And my friend, the bass player in my metal band, invited me to church, and I heard the gospel and was saved. Got baptized, immediately started reading the Bible, telling others about Jesus. God changed my language, my eyes, my heart. Eventually, I became a pastor. Thank you, Jesus. Your story could be as simple as that, or you can write a little bit more. I'm going to pray. Pastor Stephen's going to lead us in a closing song. Uh, take all the time you need to, to write your story, even after the service is done. We're going to collect them in a basket on the way out. But let's, let's pray right now. Jesus, we give you glory, great glory, because you are the risen one who appeared to Paul, knocked him down, blinded him, gave him back his sight,
If you would save him, you would save anyone in this room or online. And Lord, I know there are some here today who don't have biblical assurance that they're going to heaven. Oh, maybe they thought they were going to heaven, but the Bible disagrees because they haven't been saved. They haven't gotten baptized to show they're saved. Right now, right here, help them to pray, Jesus, save me, use me, change me. Forgive me of all my sins because I believe you are alive. Lord, if they pray that, fill their heart with your spirit of joy. And help us as Christians to remember the story you've written and to share it faithfully with other people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to stand and sing one more song here so you can stand up. Keep writing if you need to, but go ahead, stand up. Let's sing this song together.
Praise God. Praise God. Be seated for just a moment. Um, Pastor Stephen's coming up here. We've got a couple who's joining the church this morning, and we want to introduce them to you and then give you a chance to greet them. So, Stephen, oh, you're still yeah, that connected. Was <laughs> that was Whoops. a close one. There you go. That'll happen. <laughs> hey, uh, Ed and Maria Nemec are joining us as members officially today. Hey, Maria, come on you up. Want to come on up here. Come on up. Where are you guys at? Come on up. There they are. That's awesome. All righty, so Ed and guys. Maria are awesome. If you haven't met them yet, now's your time. They'll be, uh, they'll be standing up here. Would love for you to come and meet them. But just want to ask you guys, you know, what, what was it that brought you here and made you say, you know, this, this is going to be our home? She told me. <laughs> 45 years living in Maria's world. I just do what she says. Uh, that's no, the right I, answer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, no, from a serious note, at least... From my perspective, um, we've, we've been at a couple of different churches, and from the first time we walked through the door, you know, the stuff that you guys are talking about, the stuff that you're teaching, um, never felt more welcome than at home. Amen. So, amen. Appreciate amen. that. Amen. 